Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. ゴジラのサンタクロース赤い帽子がよく似合うお土産いっぱいミニラもいいしょほらほら聞こえるつつもと Hello, welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club, and more importantly, welcome to another exciting edition of Kaiju Christmas. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. And tonight, we have not one, but we have two guests, the special treats under our tree of Kaiju goodness. And tonight, we are joined by Nick Rehack from French Store Sunday. Hello. And we also welcome to the show for the first time, Emily Slade from Why This Film Podcast. Hello. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking about a film that I've been wanting to try and get on the podcast for quite a while, and hence why we didn't hold the vote this year, to really make sure we got to cover it this year. So tonight we're going to be talking about North Korean's entry into the kaiju genre with Pugasara, a film whose history is almost as interesting as the film itself. And before we obviously get into that, I mean, it's obviously... just want to sort of see talk about, about your background i mean nick obviously you're a very sort of established kaiju fan i mean you've said on occasion that godzilla versus biolante is one of your favorite kaiju movies of all time is that correct it is yeah i know it's a weird hill to die on but certainly i, I, I don't know what it is man i really, really i wore that vhs tape out wore it out. yeah so i mean is it just been the sort of godzilla movies that you watched or do you like step into any, like the gamma or uh, any of the other sort of kaiju movies out there at all I've always just been kind of a Godzilla snob. I've always stuck to it. I never delved into, like, the Ultraman series. I never delved into, like, the mech side of things. Like, I didn't care for yeah. Pacific Rim. I've always just been like, give me the monsters. I don't want people interacting with them outside of just plots that don't matter and running around coming up with allegories. Like, I just want to see the monsters fight. Like, like I bought – as soon as it was announced, I pre-ordered the uh, – what is it? Spine 1000, the Criterion Collection, where it has all yep. those films. Excuse me, from the Showa era, so I the one that doesn't fit on thing. the shelf. I know, I hate it. <laughs> I got You look at it, it and it's like it's bigger than a book. How yeah. the how am I supposed to put this on the shelf? Yeah, so I got it propped between my two little Godzilla pops, but uh, I make Are it work. Ready? I make it work. I just got lying on the side, just sit there in the shrink wrap, waiting for the day it's perfect to open it. Mm. So hopefully we get the other It will be. It just it's it's just too. It's too beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Like I've, when you look at all the artwork and stuff inside, it's just it's such a nice uh, set, and it's the only Criterion I'm probably gonna own unless they bring out the other eras of Godzilla. So I'm really hoping I wouldn't be mad to get the next era. What is it, eighty-five to ninety-five? That's the high high side other era. Yeah, high side yep. era. Um, but after that, I I'm okay if they don't get to it, but high side for sure. Because I mean, you got that. Excuse me, you got uh, King Ghidorah as well. He comes back. Like it's it's a solid era that I think a lot of people look over. Oh yeah, definitely. So we get to see Godzilla become evil again, and uh, it certainly brings a new twist to uh, this thing. It's no longer just about the giant monster-sized smackdowns. It's about building this whole world, and it's really sort of the first sign we see of the world building that really carried over for into the Millennium Saga. So it'd be uh, hopefully Criterion working on that. Yeah, I'd be. We'll find out. I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, Emily, uh, I know I'm writing saying for yourself that your only real sort of exposure to kaiju movies was the 98 Godzilla movie for, featuring Matthew Broderick. Yes. That's I not a bad thing. I know people diss on it, but... The term kaiju from Pacific Rim, does that count? Yeah. Yay! Yeah, because uh, Pacific Rim is uh, Del Toro's love letter to essentially these movies about yeah. giant monsters. And, uh, and I love the pacifist war movie. I watch a lot of YouTube videos that deep dive into sort of like monster history and often this, the obviously when we delve into the East especially, this sort of thing will come up. Um, but for years, given the choice between the sort of main two, I would often go to King Kong because it had people in it. Like you could you could never have King Kong without like a person, but I felt like you could have no. a kaiju without people. Um, so this was a really lovely surprise. This movie. Oh, that's good. Also disappointing though because I thought it genuinely was going to be Christmassy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, There's not a huge amount of Christmas in Asian cinema, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, "How dumb are you to think that this oh. movie was going to be Christmassy?" But then I was like, "I think it's valid, and there's a gap in the market there." So. Yeah. Um. For those obviously who haven't listened to our previous Kaiju Christmas episodes, to stop me basically making all my picks Kaiju movies, I gave Stephen, when we first started doing the show, I said to Stephen I would pick one Kaiju movie a year and we would celebrate it on Christmas and have celebrate Kaiju Christmas. And this is a tradition we've carried on through the years of this podcast. And so far we've done Destroy All Monsters, we've done um, Gamma Free Revenge of Iris, we've done Mothra, and now we arrive at Pugasara. So it's been a I've heard a of weird Mothra. old mix. Yeah. Yay, go me. She's, a, you know, the giant moth and one of five female <laughs> monsters in the MonsterVerse. Yeah. So that's good. And Stephen, how are you enjoying the uh, another addition to your kaiju viewing? Um, I, I, I um, I don't want to talk too much about it because it ruined the episode. But um, I really liked it. If I didn't look at the year it was made. Yes, I know what you mean. This one seems once, old. Once you realise it was made in 1985, <laughs> <laughs> then it, for, for filming made in 1965, it's hell of a lot of fun. But yeah, but there's obviously a story behind it, which you know, I've talked about before, which is um, almost as interesting as the film itself. Cool. 
Um, before we obviously get into the film, uh, we do need to just go to our mailbag quickly because, you know, it's always a shock when that light comes on. But we do like to answer you mail when you send it through to ourselves. Um, we got a request in regards to The Witch, which was one of our recommended films for this week. It was on Film 4 if you're here in the UK and definitely one worth checking out. Uh, basically, we got asked, do we know anything about the physical release for this film? Well, currently at the moment, The Witch is currently not getting a physical release as far as we know. It is being distributed by Warner Brothers, who are really scaling back their physical releases and doing digital but you can buy it through google play here in the uk and you can also get on sky store really cheap as well or just tape it off film four when it's on uh but i mean generally how do we feel about the move that for, away from physical media to digital that the market seems to be taking good it's a mistake oh i hate oh. it <laughs> oh big not a fan Okay, Nick, opening thoughts. Why do you hate uh, the move to, to digital then? I mean, is it you still like to have something in your hand to feel that you actually own something rather than just being told you own something? It used to be that, but now it's becoming more and more like I. you can't trust servers. You can't trust the internet. You can't trust that that thing will always be there, that service is always going to be there, and the way they give and take and move things. And even if you do it digitally, I... I don't know. It can't be censored. It can't be edited again. Once you have a physical copy, like it is it. It is how you know the original intention was there. You don't download it, and all of a sudden, you know, a page has changed, or there's an ad that's different in the background. Like I know that's maybe like too conspiracy theory, or you know, they really care about what's going on in the art. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust it because when the internet goes down and no one's got anything to watch, Nick's gonna be here. Watching his Blu-rays and his 4Ks <laughs> and his VHSs, and everyone's gonna be like, "My hard drive doesn't work," and I'm like, "Yeah, my Blu-ray player does." So, but but it's but it's worse than that, Nick, because the some of these services. So I, I I've experienced personally experienced this, not not in film, but in music, where I lost my iTunes library, and when I went to re-download stuff, a handful of things weren't available anymore, and I paid for them. But of course, when you look at the fine print, like anybody looks at the fine print. You're not buying the film. You're buying the right to watch mm. it while they've got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a classic nerd. I like to have things in my hands. I've got more DVDs I haven't watched than ones I have. <laughs> um, I've got more records and CDs in some way. You know, I, I, I computer games the lot. You know, I, I like to own. I like the tactile feel of it. I mean, I'm not saying I go and have bath in DVD boxes, but. I, li- I like like Scrooge McDuck over there, I'd aren't like, you? Yeah, yeah, it's just like that. I like to know I own it. I like to, and, and you've actually just added another spin to it there. That obviously things now change. Now there may be good reasons or bad reasons, but there is a snapshot in time that you can have um, exactly. with a, with with a movie that now no longer is yours, and you yeah. you're giving giving people money for nothing. Um, now you were when you were going to the cinema, so I don't mind both things happening. But the fact fact they may just stop doing DVDs and Blu-rays and things like that, they'll still. I mean, we'll be all right. Yeah, the the yeah. the weird and the wacky, the the cult movies that will always still have physical, because um, because they can screw us out for money. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's the more standard stuff that might disappear from the shelves. Yeah, and, and, and even with some concerned. of the. I see even with some of the weirder, wackier stuff too. Like you can't always find like Ralph Bakshi in a digital format. Like you have to go out and search that physically. Like I got a Blu-ray copy of Wizards. But you can't and- find it on DVD either in the UK. Like there's, 
and you can actually find it in a digital form. I find certain things that are impossible to buy in a physical media are available in a stream format. And and that that I have I have no problem with Ooh. both. I just dislike I dislike the fact that they might just stop doing it at all. Cause it's got to be cheaper, yeah. It's got to be cheaper than printing little silver discs and little well, blue discs. Yeah, I, I know what both of you are saying, and I agree with certain points. I used to only buy DVDs when I had watched the movie at least three times and fallen completely in love with it, and I would walk into Woolworths and I would be like, it's time. I need to own <laughs> Van Helsing starring Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale on DVD. And Woolworths would always provide. If I thought about the movie hard enough as I entered the doors, it you, would be there. You've seriously dated yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I would then have it on DVD and I would treasure it. And it would be, I obviously I still have it on DVD. The first DVD I ever bought, I, it's a very vivid memory. It was a very weird DVD case of the 2002 live action Scooby-Doo movie from WH Smith for $7.99. And, you know, you do attach these memories to these physical items. However, since YouTube have started renting things, I've been able to rent movies more and better and different types of movies and um, my friend used to work for Sky when I lived with her and we would get Sky Cinema for free so I could just consume movies at a rate that I never could before um, and I didn't have to then be like oh buying Novu was a mistake I watched it once and it was kind of crap and now I have it and yeah. it cost me like twelve ninety nine. and the most expensive DVD I ever bought was the day it came out and I made a point of buying it the day it came out because it was like you know even though it was it was fifteen ninety nine from HMV, which is the most I've ever spent on a DVD, and um, and it was the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus because I saw it in cinema and I was like, this is now my favourite movie. Isn't my taste fantastic? Um, Certainly setting an interesting, uh, <laughs> giving painting an interesting paid image of your DVD collection here. <laughs> but but actually, um, you raise you actually raise an interesting point, and because the how long have we actually in in the history of cinema? We've only really been able to buy things for 40 years since, mm -hmm. like, the 80s, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because up to then, we'd rent them from the video store. And before that, you just have a, you know, wait. in the UK, it's on the TV, one of our three channels. Yeah. I'm dated myself there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it would take five years for E.T. to come on Christmas Day. Um, for some reason, Star Wars was on all the bloody time. But every other film just... You know, you'd be really lucky to see it, and then, then video came out, and you could rent it, and then and it was eight perhaps. years after that you could buy it. So maybe, maybe this, that that was the blip, and not being able to own it is actually the normal. And perhaps they'll go back to what um, the Disney company initially intended to do when VHS first became a thing. They were like, right, we'll have a vault, and every like ten years we'll release Pinocchio, um, yeah. and we'll make bank on it. But then they did release Pinocchio, and they made bank on it. And so they were like, oh, well, why the hell are we not doing this every single day of our lives yeah. with everything we've ever done? So then they did. And of course, now everything's sort of shifting again. I, even though I just complained about having to spend fifteen ninety nine on a DVD because I needed it that desperately that I needed it the day it came out, I think it would be really lovely and it will become more of a gift. You know, I won't be able to find Fern Gully 1 and 2 on DVD for three ninety nine on Amazon like I did the other day and I bought it um, mm. because I really needed to watch it and own it. But I will be able to have the, like, carved-in crystal copy of Ferngully, The Last Rainforest, 
has a million extras and weird bloopers that they've found in an animation file in some burnt down studio somewhere that they've crammed onto this DVD and it'll be 47 pounds and someone will gift it to me and I'll be like, yes, the ultimate, ultimate edition of Fern Gully, The Last Raincrop Forest. Thank you so much. Like, I'm going to treasure this right next to my Van Helsing DVD. I don't know. I think that's quite lovely. But I would also miss the ability, as you mentioned about Ralph Bashki, the equivalent for me would be the sort of knockoff Disney's of the early 90s of just being like, I know this will be on DVD for like three quid somewhere. So I'm just going to buy it kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's I'm really depressed. <laughs> I'm really depressed because <laughs> the most you've ever spent on a DVD is 15.99. <laughs> And I know the other three of the other three of us are all thinking, yeah, add a zero to that, love. <laughs> well, I'll, but I'll think admit it. You're used to it, so surely this new norm will be the norm for you it's guys. It's more just the idea of not of having something deleted and it being gone. If you've got a physical copy of something, you've got it forevermore. So if you own a copy of Song of the South on DVD or mm. if you or VHS, should I say? You are never going to be able to not be able to see that. Whereas if you were doing that's, digital, that's, that's not wholly true, is it? Because none of my videotapes are held up, and loads of my DVDs and CDs are rotting. And this is the flip side. It's sort yeah. of like with digital, like if you only take three house moves to kill your collecting mm. bug. I tell you that much. Whereas if it's digital, it's so much easier. And like the other day, I was listening to Emily's podcast. She was watching Die Hard for the first time. And I was like, can I be asked to go through all my DVDs to find my copy of Die Hard? No, I'm going to buy it for, on digital for like £3, and then I can watch Die Hard. I don't have to go and disrupt all the rest of the chaos in the house. And as I said, I'm moving slowly towards digital, but at the same time I hate the fact that certain movies like Underwater and like The Witch that I can't get on physical media. I have to have these digital copies, and that's the only version available. I hate it. When you don't have the choice to have a physical media. When we say the witch, are we talking about the the, the itch? The oh no, 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 we're talking about um, it's a North Korean. Um, oh, okay. I, I did assume it wasn't the New England folktale because that would be a massive bummer if I couldn't get that on DVD because I love my folk oh, no, horror no, no. and I want to collect that on DVD. See, I, I I get it. I just I don't know. But you, know, but you would, hard, but, but you would specialize. Yeah, you'd go the. Yeah, I'd specialize. And that's how I used to be. Right, but when you've got the chromosome mix that I've got, i.e., you're a man, it doesn't. You can't. You can't contain it like that. And 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 some you painting need... everyone with the same brush tonight. Yeah, no, <laughs> you you want everything. You need everything. I, well, I'm sorry. I'm speaking for most of our audience there. I'm pretty fucking certain. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of interesting, at least from a states versus you know England side of things. There's also region locks and everything. Like there's certain mm. digital or physical copies I've wanted to get that I can't now. 4K UHD has made a big leap for that. Like uh, what is it? There's a really gorgeous Elephant Man box set that was available over on your guys' side that isn't here. So I went and bought it, and it works because 4K UHD isn't region locked. They announced uh, an Akira box set only available in Japan, so I paid a little bit more than I should have. And I got the import, but I could watch it because you know the, the, there's no region lock on oh, that. that's so good. So yeah, the, but yeah, when the you whole get region to... lock thing ha- will die because yeah, of Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, it will yeah. absolutely. Because it, it was all about they had very different release schedules, mm-hmm. but now we're in a world where everything releases in the same couple of weeks. Instantaneous, yeah. It, or if you know, at most 
in a couple of weeks difference, yeah? Um, there may be a bit of delay for the Chinese version so they can send <laughs> Maybe that's Snowpiercer, like that. but... <laughs> Wait, but on the... But I, 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 bought one, I bought one from Germany. I've had Snowpiercer on Blu-ray for years, yeah? See, there you go. So... There is that, and of course, I guess the world that Elwood and I live in—you know, the love of you know, we like Asian cinema, I like European cinema. That would potentially be, you know, other than some VPN hacky stuff that might I might want to do to go and watch something with subtitles. That that's the other reason I go for DVDs and Blu-rays is is because I can get films that aren't on my Netflix, that aren't on my Amazon, um, that 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 aren't. Are, Never buy anything from Google Store, God's sake. Um, but <laughs> but that, so that, that's the other thing. And so, I, again, I think it goes down to the collector in me. That means I, I not only would prefer to have the physical item, it might be my only way of seeing it. So until the mm-hmm. world opens up, and that, then that's always going to be the way. And then you probably don't want the world to open up too much because then we're talking about there's already only five companies that can make films in America, yeah? What happens when those five companies are the five five companies in the world? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. So that's well, look, twentieth century Fox doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Isn't mm-hmm. that insane? Doesn't it, it doesn't exist anymore? Disney bought it up and it's starting to lock down those films and just like it did with the Vault, you're not going to find them for a couple of years and then boom, magically they'll show up and maybe they'll be edited, maybe they won't be edited, maybe I'm projecting, but you'll start to see less and less of it out there because, like you said, more. It's just going to be five companies that own – I mean, five companies own everything now. But from what we see, five companies would own everything. Yeah, because but, – but, but again, that takes us back to the beginning of cinema where five companies mm. own – The studio system. They own, they, own, they own all the means of production and all the and means the of – And the actors. And the actors, and they own the cinemas. And, and so now they're getting rid of the cinemas – and they'll just own your TV set, and they'll just own, you know, they'll, they'll be yeah, free streaming. Yeah, you'll, you'll get like a Disney TV. Yeah. And you can get it in different colours. There'll be three streaming services. We'll have, oh. we'll have them all. How how many of us were really excited the fact we could see Monk on day one? You mean Mank? And David Finch. Mank, oh, even. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would have been no, really I was, excited to I was wholly that. excited. That was brilliant. So, yeah. <laughs> And then about how many of us were disappointed we watched Mank two hours later? <laughs> I haven't seen Mank, and I class myself in that category. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. Finch's father was not a writer. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. It's... But, um, yeah, it was nice being able to see something day one and not have to, like, get out of bed. You could just, <laughs> like, put it on at nine o'clock and be like, yay, Finch is new to movie time. And then it, uh, 11 o'clock, it's like, uh, I guess sandwich time now or something. <laughs> Put I like on, your see clock. How, see. I really like your clock. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's just a variation of, you know, movies oh. and sandwiches. Just the whole day through. Living the dream. This. We're going to take a quick break now. When we return, we're going to also be diving into our feature presentation tonight, Paul Gasari. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk. Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. Sir. 
This is the wrong form. Can you hold my space while I go get the right one? Nobody held my space when I was in a North Korean prison being forced to write a musical about Kim Jong-il with a car battery hooked up to my nipples. Well... Pardon me, sir. Can you tell me where a palace is? What business do you have at the palace? Why, someday I'm going to be dear leader. <laughs> you? You're too benevolent to be dear leader. Let's see what they think. And we're back. Uh, obviously, tonight we're talking about Pulgasara, the North Korean's contribution to the kaiju genre. And as you said already, this is a film which has got an absolutely fascinating backstory, which we're going to touch on because it is quite involved. But you can, if you want to find out more about the making of the film, you can check out the book A Kim Jong-il Production by Paul Fisher, which is an absolutely fascinating read, which goes into the complete story. But for those obviously not familiar with Pulgasari, it's a, as I say, it's a North Korean movie. It's set in feudal Korea, where an evil king becomes aware that there's a peasant rebellion being planted in his country. So he steals all the farming tools and cooking pots from the people so that they can't make it out of weapons. And he basically inflicts this iron-fisted rule over the country. Now, in doing so, he imprisons an old blacksmith who decides to hold a very political protest and starves himself to death with his last creation being a tiny figurine of a monster called Pulgasari who comes to life when the blood of his daughter drops onto the figurine and it turns into this little monster who eats iron and soon helps lead the peasant uprising. Unfortunately, things do not go as they go um, according to plan, which uh, we will get into a bit later. But um, the film, as I said, it was... Um, produced by North Korea, who were very envious of their South Korean counterparts because the North Korean film industry was failing horribly. And North Korea, being the communist dictatorship that it's uh, run under, were very controlling over any media that were coming over. Only select Western movies were coming across because they felt that it was going to make the people idolize the West, which would be very bad for them. So... At the time, Kim Jong-il was yet to become dictator in the country. Uh, his father was still in charge, and he was working for the Ministry of Propaganda. So, being the big film fan he is, and I mean, he's the man who had over 60,000 films, mm. citing the likes of Gone with the Wind and Rambo First Blood amongst his favourite films. So, while there was a block on Western films for North Korea, certainly it didn't apply to him. And he basically came up with this plan that they were going to produce this film, which was going to be part propaganda and was going to be this rousing success that would help revive the North Korean film industry. Now, not having any particularly good directors in North Korea, he looked to South Korea and saw that, you know, well, if we can't uh, find any good directors on this side, we'll just borrow one from the South Korea, which they did basically by persuading the film's director to uh, come to North Korea by wrapping him in plastic and throwing him on a cargo ship. 
it was worse than that, right? So his ex-wife, his ex-wife, they tricked her to go to Hong Kong because her career was on the slide. Um, yeah. They tricked her to go to Hong Kong, kidnapped her, kept her in um, in sort of a luxurious imprisonment and sort of tried to um, brainwash her there. Her ex-husband, because they were still friendly, who was a film director, whose career was also on the slide, followed the clues to Hong Kong and, as you say, then captured him and chucked him on a boat and but put him in a prison camp for five years to indoctrinate <laughs> him um, and, and, and eventually put them together when they thought they were both fully indoctrinated in the, in the, in the North Korean way. And they actually, yeah, and, and so she uh, she doesn't act in this one, does she? But she acted in something No, else. she's not in this one. But, um, yeah, they made, like, seven films together. Uh, I think this was the last one, wasn't it? Um, yeah, this was the last one before they um, escaped to the States. But, so. but you know, that, that's, that's the way to get someone on board. Kidnap them and chuck them in a prison camp for five years. Classic. That's where I'm going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, at the time, the country was still under the leadership of the eternal leader, Kim Il-sung, um, which was obviously taken over by his son. Do you remember what his uh, son was, um, his title was, Stephen? His title? Yep, because his father was obviously the eternal leader. I don't remember. Supreme? Yep. Nailed it. So there we go. And, um, yes... And uh, he was then followed by his son, who Trump decided to taunt by calling him Little Rocket Man. Uh... <laughs> because there's nothing better than antagonise the country with a strong nuclear arm. No, it seemed to work. He got little love letters from him, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, who's the guy who plays the dad in um, uh, Fresh Off the Boat? Oh, um, he plays. Um, he plays him in... Um... He's in the in interview, doesn't he? My baby. I can't remember his yeah. name. Is it Randall Park? Randall Park, that's it. Randall Park. Well always be yeah, amazing. 10 points to him. Yep, Randall Park also played um, Kim Il-sung in um, a series of Lynx habits which showed dictators around the world doing nice things. Ow. So, it's uh, safe to say, like the headmaster on uh, Grange Hill who made a name for himself playing Hitler, he made a name for himself playing North Korean dictators. And Nick's going, oh, what are you talking? <laughs> Grange Hill was a children's program in the 80s where horrible things often befell its cast. So like heroin it's also where, um, death in swimming pools. Yeah. Yeah. Just ca- just say no came from Grange Hill. Did it? So that's our just that's our no, gift no. to the states. Just say no. no. Oh no, M's meant to do the singing, but yeah. Yeah, that's how we, that's how we got so. Whereas you had um, it, Nick, you had like Nancy Reagan telling you, you know, winners don't do drugs and all that. We had, a bunch of, we had I'm spotty, so excited. We had spotty <laughs> teenagers seriously taking heroin on children's TV at four thirty-five p.m. in the afternoon. Everyone of a certain generation is like, Grinchill is so controversial," and I'm like, it, it was "Oh yeah." Boring. <laughs> oh, Samo, Samo got addicted to heroin. Danny died oh. in a swimming pool. And that was that was Bronson's fault. Yeah, <laughs> had, Bronson. Um... No, Bronson, <laughs> headmaster who once played Hitler in another. <laughs> so... Jesus. Oh, we had um, the episode where they go to Germany on the exchange trip, and the black girl gets harassed by neo Nazis. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh and then God. we had Biker Grove, which is still used as a Biker. safety video if you play paintball. Go! 
because uh, PJ got shot in the face with a paintball gun <gasps> and blinded. No way! And a deck! Yeah. He's blind, man! <laughs> we had we had very, very dark television in the 70s and 80s. We had to learn valuable lessons. Yeah. We were, we, we, were, we were trouble, and we needed sorting out. Yeah, I mean, I had a teacher that would be like, God, kids these days, we used to chuck live fireworks at each other. I was like, and you're saying that nostalgically like it's a good thing? Yeah, we did. Like, no wonder we, did. we needed Grange Hill. <laughs> we did, and we're still here. Kids today, molly cuddled. Jesus. Yeah, I wonder whose fault that is. Don't know somebody with only three fingers on one hand. It's not worth it. <laughs> then so. you haven't lived. <laughs> and, they're, and they're not a Simpson. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have four. They, okay. All right. Well, then well, my point stands. Okay. <laughs> Apart from God, God has uh, five fingers in The Simpsons, and he's voiced by Matt Groening. Nice. Classic. <laughs> no ego there, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like Trey Parker casting himself as God in Book of Mormon. Oh, really? Yeah. I need to sit down and watch that because I loved all their other stuff like Cannibal the Musical. And it's all like so on Cannibal YouTube. Cannibal the Musical. It's Basketball. So good. Jesus and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Cannibal. Yes. Um, Ship. Sorry, is it about Pugasari or is it about Grange Hill? <laughs> yes, it's about, it's about Pugasari. Pugasari. Yes. Pugasari. Pugasari. Um, we have these characters and they're all delightful and I love and would die for all of them and they refer to each other they call the old blacksmith uncle which made me think that they were related Um, so in Asian cinema or in Asia in general you have both familial bonds and Mm -hmm. bonds of respect Right. so I I think I think he is the uncle of the girl Yes. He's the but father he, of the girl. He's the father girl, that's right. But um, he is and then not... this is the thing, he wanted Issa or whatever his yeah, name was to marry Army or whatever her name that. was. Don't worry about so, that. So, yeah, I wondered if it was like a Regency so. thing where I had to like sh- um, right. root for cousins and I was like, oh no, I don't know if I can do uh, that. So Western, and familial, out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Western familial names like sister and auntie, auntie mm-hmm. and uncle especially. So just anyone like who is senior and respectful you might you refer to them in those ways i did hope it was something like that when when everybody started calling him uncle i was like there's no way that the entire town are all related to each other so i'm assuming it's like a familial term of respect it's not the american south it's korea (laughs) especially in like korean films because it's a confucian society so you will be referenced as an auntie or an uncle or by your job title if it's a respectful one. So you might be called teacher if you teach right, people right, because right. that's a highly respected role. Or if you're a government official, that's that's highly respected. So uh-huh. there, there's these all these hierarchies. Not in this things. movie. No, not in this. I did movie. love that they come out and they're like, "Oh no, it's the government!" And I was like, "I feel you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and again, you've got to remember where this film's being made. So there's a huge subtext going on here. I did, yeah. I vaguely we, remembered Elwood mentioning the whole backstory and then can, trying to apply it. But we can take it oh, two yeah. ways. So we can say, we can look at it at face value and say, this is this film is all about um, 
how bad the feudal world is because what you remember is Korea before it was north and south was like kind of um uh, it was it was like known as the Hidden Kingdom. It didn't really interact with the rest of the world. Occasionally, China or Japan would invade for a bit, but really, it was feudal for hundreds of years after the rest of the world got on past that. And so, you could view it as the this is this is the people rising up against the feudal society, and that Bulgasari is is really like the capitalists who are coming in to help. But he's so obsessed with his iron and stuff that he's then gonna hurt us, right? So that that's the that's how um Kim Il sung would have seen it as this is a mm. this is a, a song to the wonders of communism and the mm. dangers of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could see it as the director having a little dig and saying, actually, this dictator bloke that's in charge that that, that they're rising up against is Kim Il sung. Mm-hmm. And that they're rising up against him and actually Bulgasari is a bit like him as well in terms of the revolutionaries that have rescued them from from this feudal life mm-hmm. actually end up terrorizing them more. Yeah. yeah. So, so you there, there are multiple readings of this. It's you, really you take, interesting. You take it straight, and that's what that's what um, Kim Il Sung thought it was because he thought mm. this film was a masterpiece. Yeah. He had all those films. He's got more films than me, and he thinks this is a masterpiece. And but but actually, oh, done to something. There is there is a view. There is a view, masterpiece. There is a view that that the director was um was having a slight dig. Yeah, that makes um, sense. I, mean, I think yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're about to run off to the states, you'd be like one last dig. Uh, he, he, he actually, when he did go, when he did, when they did escape, he remade this film, didn't he? So oh, there is a we, there is a Western version of this film oh, that awesome. he made as soon as he went to America, because they they basically went off to Vienna, and um, they, man, they so they managed to get enough status that they were allowed to go and sort of go out and advertise the film in in various worlds, and they basically. <laughs> <laughs> they got in a taxi and said, quick, get us to the US Embassy in Vienna. And they were chased along the streets of Vienna by North Korean, I don't know, people um, in, in another black cab. In a private place, wasn't it? So. <laughs> and, and, and only got there because there was a red light that the, that the people chasing them had to oh, obey. And God. yeah, so he went off to America and he made, yeah, he made it like a kids version of it i can't remember what it's called Oh no not a kids version because i was going to ask as well it feels like it's a sort of familiar tale as we have over here that sort of archetypal tale of the like oh the thing comes to help and then it betrays us essentially so, but i don't know that as a tale but is that a familiar tale so, in the so it is so it is based on a a um, sort of a story, an old folklore story called a Bulgasari, um, ah. which is comes from the. So, I see what they did there. So in religion, <laughs> well, I think it, I think you, I think it is Bulgasari in any language. Just that we've romanized it by putting a P at the front. I don't, I don't know much about it, but they are. Go back to the story. Go back to the story on the whaling, and you'll hear. You'll know that actually I've religion. Seen whaling. Religion and career is based on animism and shamanism, yeah, like spirits in in things and shaman. So the the, the shaman that in the whaling, yeah, 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 he, yeah, yeah. So that's that that's their religion at this time. Ah, yeah? Okay. And the Bulgasari is is from that sort of um, that kind of folklore. 
So I don't think it's quite the same. I don't think it, it it's probably a monster that ate iron or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so this would have had resonance with 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 people in North Korea and and, and South Korea. Mm-hmm. This this is a legend that they would understand. Yeah. Yeah. And and a tale that they understand, because I thought it was genuinely lovely. I was watching it. I've got a note here that says I'm genuinely invested, forgetting this is a Godzilla movie. Sorry, a kaiju movie. Um, I'm super awesome. pumped yeah. to see how Godzilla gets involved, because I didn't read any synopses or anything going in. I went in completely blind, and I'm so happy I did, because I was so, like, genuinely thrilled with how imaginative and cool the idea was and the development and arcs that occurred like and, i genuinely and, loved it and it's surprisingly charming isn't it it's so That's, charming I, I was expecting something a hundred times worse a hundred <laughs> times worse i was, I was expecting because elwood's made me watch a lot of kaiju movies well no he hasn't See, made me this I all have. comes back to me doesn't no, it like no. when i get this and yeah. back is oh look what a well, mean bastard no one is over there we started with king kong versus godzilla which is kind is it king kong versus godzilla or king kong returns can't remember but that was we started with the first one we watched was um king kong returns which was yeah. uh king kong versus mechie kong that's that um that, that was the was, first one i made you watch and that was that was okay but silly and then mm. i love destroy all monsters you know so i've got and i, I i'm a gamera man which puts me on the i'm i'm like on the fringes of kaiju period but some of them are shit i'm sorry nick i'm sorry elwood but some of these movies are shit and lots of them are fantastic mothra is fantastic right. destroyer monsters is fantastic some a lot of the others are shit and i was expecting it to be in the shit column but actually it's really charming and it's quite telling because oh the other thing we haven't mentioned elwood is that it's Toho, the the people who own Godzilla, do the special effects and monster work for this because they yeah. they trick them, right? Even though Koreans hate the Japanese, and that was um something that um Kim Il Sung was a bit against. He didn't really want to make a a, a, a kaiju movie because he thought that was a bit Japanese, and that that's something they really wouldn't want. But they tricked them and told them they were making a film in China. And it wasn't yeah. until the plane landed in Pyongyang that they realised they weren't in China anymore. But they got Jesus. given lots of, you know, they got put into on opulent apartments and probably, you know, yeah. uh, bribed to do it. But the, the, the guy that's playing Bulgasari is is Godzilla. Ah! Oh. Satsuma. Yep. He's uh, Kempachiro Satsuma, the legend director himself, and he actually did uh, say that he preferred Pulgasari to Tristar's Godzilla. So, the film made by the North Korean dictatorship, he prefers over the American version, but... (laughs) And I think think Pulgasari himself, the design is fantastic. He's like some kind of reptilian minotaur, isn't he? He Um, cool. And, you know, because a lot of the others sort of from the Japanese one, they know they're giant dinosaurs or giant um, moths or giant sort of that they're from a very they're unrealistic, realistic, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, mm. They can draw them back to some some obvious giant version of something which you see, mm. whereas this this looks myth- mythological. This, yeah, it this, does. I, mean, I, I adore that it starts out as this sort of carved totem. And then it, we get to watch it physically grow before our eyes and change actors. Um, that was really, so fun. And they do really cool stuff with it as well. Like they have like feet and hands and things. So the, the actors sort of like 
tacitly interact with the with the it felt personal i mentioned king kong earlier and the reason i enjoy it is because you often have to have a human interaction with the monster and we had that here we had the literal blood bond between i keep wanting to call her annie assy what's her name amy something like that isn't it amy and um a literal blood bond that goes beyond any sort of blonde fairy character alongside king kong it was genuinely like a relationship more than even a pet and you're right when she's even just sort of leaning against his sort of tree trunk of a leg and you know he's there just chilling and they're just vibing together and he makes her stronger and he makes her the hero and then she ultimately has to like i'm not going to spoil the ending but uh well we will eventually but i'll wait but yeah yeah i just thought that was really lovely as well nick um what did you think of this one didn't want to think we were knowing you over there no no as you guys were rocking and rolling i didn't want to step in and uh wow. and uh slow the flow um i dug it uh okay. i i dug the score for some reason like it's not good but i don't know it's in my it's, what you don't kim jong-il and his casio there our soundtrack list. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a moog. He's got a goom. Um, I, uh, I, I thought it was inventive. Some of the stuff they did, especially with the rear projection. And it's funny. Mm. I kept watching this, and I'm like, man, this is really good for something done in '58. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then I looked, and it yep. said '85, and I'm like, oh no, I read this wrong. Yeah. So the only, the only giveaway is the, the guy that's playing Indy, which he's sort of the leader mm. of them, who looks like he should be a Motley Crew. <laughs> yeah. with that perfectly feathered hair yeah that, 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 that does date it to 1985 <laughs> and, um, and, and I guess we're not really seeing a nice remaster of it we're seeing versions of versions of versions that are finally uploaded to um, YouTube I mean you're lucky the version I saw on YouTube was at least in Korean most versions are, have a Japanese dub on the top Mm-hmm. Which huh. which brings you even further away from the, <laughs> from the story. Mm. Um, um, the f- soundtrack was provided by John Gonso. This is his only credit. So okay. I love it. Uh, I don't. There's something about it. It seems very fitting. It reminds me kind of like um, Amiga Point and Click Adventures. <laughs> That's a sort of very minimalistic sort of soundtrack. The um, yeah. like I... they they made a soundtrack with like minimal amount of. Uh, it's almost like they had a limited amount of space on the yeah, disc. Yeah, they, they had like one instrument and they had to sort of go with that. And I, I said earlier, it sort of reminds me of when Tarantino does his little like, I mean, I guess this is going to be a complete culture clash and it'll probably boot me off the podcast right now, but I no. adore Kill Bill, which is obviously not. No, there's nothing wrong with that. So why would you think you'd be booted off the, co- the podcast for saying you like one of the greatest Tarantino movies of all time? Because I was going to say it sort of reminded me of the same essence and I guess the essence is Eastern because of course yeah. I don't think Kill Bill draws specifically from Korean stuff. No. It's more Japanese? Yeah, oh. Kill Bill, oh, we have Kill yeah. Bill 1 and 2. Kill Bill 1 is his Eastern. Kill Bill 2 is his Western. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to making that film, he view, he just basically borrows from all Asian cinema the same way that when we talk yeah. about Asian cinema on this podcast, we don't include like Bollywood because it's his own thing, but yeah. we include like uh, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea. That's and, so interesting. Like, I never knew the that. The other smaller bits that come up now. I freaking love Kill Bill Volume 1. And like, I watch Kill Bill Volume Two because I have to complete the story. But like, I would yeah. watch Kill Bill Volume One over and over again. But so that's yep. so interesting that one's Eastern, one's West. So both, both, yeah. both films come from Tarantino when he worked in his video shop. Yeah. Watching, watching 
dubbed Hong Kong and Japanese movies and watching westerns and, mm-hmm. and he sort of joined them together. They are very different films. Yes, yeah. I'm not a fan of the western genre. You know, I don't have any time for Logan or Breaking Bad. Indeed. Well, you look at the Kill Bill 1, and I mean, you obviously got like the elements of like the training, the wise master and stuff, which is very much like in keeping with like kung fu cinema. (laughs) And then you've got the Yakuza elements, which is obviously Japanese, and you've got that uh, Oren Ishii theme, the uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, which was uh, featured in New Battles Without Honor and Humanity, which is a terrible movie, but it has that wonderful (laughs) song in it. And just like you just as I said, you can see all these moments that he's like borrowing and like when he's got like the ball chain, which is a very sort of very sort of like traditional sort of kung fu weapon, but it's being welded by this Japanese schoolgirl. By um so, Shisusa, is that her name from Battle Royale? She plays Chigasaw. Chigasaw, that's it. Um she's, she's my favourite yellow. She's my favourite in the manga, she's my favourite character. She's not my favourite character in the movie because she only gets like five minutes. Oh, we've got another episode for you to turn up on. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already, please do check out the Battle Royale podcast where myself and Stephen break down Battle Royale one DVD chapter at a time. So about it's seven really weeks, about seven weeks time, we'll be giving you a call because we'll be in her, we'll be in her five minutes. <laughs> yeah. The whole story gets undermined. Well, it's alright because we cover we on the show we cover everything. We do the book, we do the manga, we bring it all together. So it's like the most in-depth we can possibly be for what we've considered to be one of the greatest Asian movies of all time. So. Absolutely it love it. Up. Are you watching the extended version or the theatrical release? Extended. Fair. I only started for seeing those... that recently. Um, my DVD suddenly had really extended scenes with the... God, I can't remember anyone's name. I want to say Misa, but that I'm thinking of Death Note. Bas- basketball being played backwards. and things. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And more <laughs> umbrella shots in the rain. Ugh. Yeah, obviously back to obviously this one. I mean, obviously we got uh, Kim uh, Pachiro Satsuma who first started doing Godzilla movies with uh, Godzilla vs. Adora. He played Adora and they went on to play Gigan. And then when we get into the Hite um, era, he took over playing Godzilla. And he played Godzilla right through to uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer and put up with all the wonderful health and safety quirks of uh, Toho where he would regularly pass out in the suit <laughs> and uh, have explosives strapped to him because he was really dedicated to keeping that job. And when we look at the health and safety on this movie, I have to say that they were following pretty much the same health and safety protocol because we have a scene here where he's locked in a cage that's then set on fire and he's in a he's in a rubber suit, which I don't think last time I checked is fireproof. But I knew that Pogasari was going to be fireproof. I was so excited. (laughs) I was sat on my bed like, come on, come out of the flames, do a separate. Sandy came out of the cage a lot quicker than he went. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny with that, not funny, but with that scene after the fire and everything, after he comes out, I think it's like the most powerful image of the film. Like he's just there and there's just this bright red light just all over him and the shadows hitting just right. And he's basically looking at him like, you guys don't know what you just did. Mm -hmm. And then just proceeds to just destroy everything in his path. And he's just this towering, glowing being, almost like Chernabog at the end of Fantasia, just like ready to rip and destroy. And to me, that was the moment for me where I took the film just a little more seriously because it's the, it's kind of this like family-esque drama, right, that the score yeah. kind of feels like a family drama. It, it To me, the score sounds similar to like bits and pieces of Princess Bride. I don't know why. Um, but we see, you know – 
uh, Poger, uh just he, he's growing up with everybody, and all of a sudden yeah. he just becomes this evil entity, and he's like, yeah, I'm my own guy now. And after that, that's when he starts to just keep eating and eating, and he becomes the thing that everybody was trying to get away from. So yeah. I think it's just this big turning point where he's like, I sacrificed myself in fire for you guys. Like, you you yeah. all owe me now. Almost like he's rebirthed as yes, a completely different that. mental attitude where he's like, Damn. I sacrificed myself for you, Han. Now I'm going to eat all the iron I can possibly <laughs> get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And this is, and again, the backstory that all revolutionaries become this, yeah? All the Mao Zedong, um, uh, Kim, uh, Stalin, the, 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 these people who are part of a revolution, it, they always seem to end up eating the people, not literally, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. eating uh, the people that they were legs, representing. Four legs good, two legs bad. Indeed. Do you know what that means? I do, I do. I just wonder, you disagree with that guy. No, no, no. Yeah, of course. That's a reference to a film, right? And I can't remember what it is. It's Animal Farm, where the sort of pigs get more and more power. It's communism, it's Trotsky and Stalin. And it's four legs good, two legs bad, but the wings count as legs, so the chickens are okay. And then eventually it's four legs good, two legs better, because the pigs become men, and the very famous final line is the sort of, no one could tell who was man and who was pig, uh, because communism yeah and it's what you were saying yeah sorry (laughs) can view it the capitalism that he's representing capitalism because all he wants is metal money and and to consume so there's there's there's, that's what i thought was interesting because a lot of you know like a lot of zombie movies are really about something else and there are some kaiju movies which are about something else the original godzilla for example is about nuclear power and, and the nuclear age but they later on they just become they become less about the message and more about, about the spectacle yeah, exactly. they're not, not all stupid i must stop saying that it's but 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 this, this film does feel absolutely laid <laughs> okay you might get something it's stocking you shocking you stocking the p45 <laughs> but everything yeah it just it, it just feels that there's more weight behind it that there's something there's more going on here and there are moments, like you said, Nick. You know that when 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 he's surrounded by fire, it, this, that's a visually stunning piece of cinema, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it definitely stands out. And for some, I don't know what reason, I was getting real flashbacks to like uh, Kagemusha from uh, Kurosawa. Just these bright, bold colors shining on maybe our hero, maybe our anti-hero. We don't know at this point. Uh, we find out eventually in the film, but just this powerful image where it's just his face, you know what I mean? Shoulders up, it's a bus shot, and just his face, just this glowing red and the darkness that's overcoming him too. It just, it. I paused it. I really took a moment. I'm like, I didn't expect to feel this type of power from, uh, you know, an 85 uh, film that looks like it was made in 65. <laughs> but uh, no, it I, I, really you. caught me off guard. And I, mean, I think it's also because we have that emotional investment with the with the creature, and I don't think it would be as powerful if we hadn't seen him birthed from blood and grown and little baby Pugasari growing all the way up, and then we see him in this mo- t- pivotal moment. I don't think we would have that if we didn't have the previous emotional foundation. I agree. I, would agree I want to know, how did Uncle create him in the cell? Because he hasn't got metal in right? the cell. He's just basically got rice and mud. So he's very much in turn so with de Gaulle, a creature born of mud and, mud and clay. No, he's a master blacksmith. Um, he probably just had some iron ore on him. But he hasn't got tools, though. He's doing his, it with his hands. His, his, hands. his, hands. his hands are calloused. 
how he's talented he is. But yeah. Um, <laughs> it just, it just, as I say, just, just uh, threw me. And then we obviously, as you said, he bursts into the, a double little Pugasaro here, played by Little Man Machan, who played uh, Manila in the original Godzilla movies. I was going to say, I did get real Manila vibes. And, 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 and I hate Manila. And much like in those movies, nobody has a gun to shoot the little shit between the eyes. So Jesus, do you do you know? I hate Manila. Manila is like just looks like grey lumpy mash. Is just the most annoying character. It's sort of like what what Ewan McGregor is to the Star Wars franchise. Wow, do you not mean more it's like this thing that's like you're looking at? He is just like, like yeah, like Scrappy Doo. That's exactly oh, what. Goodness. So do you know who you Manila? This, like, do you know who Manila is? Em? I have no idea who he, Manila Godzilla's is. He's son. Godzilla. He's Godzilla's son. Godzilla has a son? Well, oh, yeah. Wait, does that mean Godzilla's a woman? Because I know at the end of no, that Godzilla movie in 98 with Matthew Broderick, she lay eggs. Oh, like the Jurassic Park uni- dinosaurs. Yeah, he's unisex, so he, like lizards can have both genders. Oh, Hermaph- Are we saying Godzilla's a hermaphrodite? Is that canon? No, we're saying he's just like all accepting. Well, in the mythology, he's in a relationship with Mothra, which brings what? more questions than how the donkey and the dragon does it in Shrek. <laughs> what the jing is going on? <laughs> Unless so, it's like a fish kind of thing, where the eggs are there, and then the fish just kind of swing by and crop dust the eggs and ferment them that way. Oh, yeah, that's There's true. There's a lot of because in Shin Godzilla, the latest Godzilla yeah. film... They do kind of suggest that because oh, one of his forms as he's growing up is very fish-like. Right? And he just kind of like he's slugging like, through the streets and everything. Yeah, he's he got these like, dead fish eyes, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he looks like the baby dinosaur from that sitcom about the dinosaurs. He does. Dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But he's, he's the rubbish. And he, he, and he I can see smoke. him being very frustrating he looks yeah. like if you've ever seen the never ending story 3 and they ruined the rock biter and gave him a kid he looks like the oh, rock biter's kid i didn't yes. know they made a certain jack black is in it oh is he now my god the rock biter i still every time you mention the rock biter i just remember his sad lines he's like they look, look at these like hands this. strong yeah. we, we quote that at work at least once a week <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Ooh. The only things I remember were like very vividly about Never End Story is the horse dying in the bog of a Oh, yeah, Artax. Yeah. Oh, I went to see Never Ending Story for my 10th birthday party. No. There, that's, yeah. date, that's literally Day. dated. Right? That must be 1981, right? I'm so jealous. Well, you wouldn't be if you couldn't get out of bed in the morning like I can't. But <laughs> the, um, no, the point is, so old that is that that's what I went to see for my birthday. And the fucking horse dies. Mm. And that is not a good thing. And it doesn't make it okay that it comes back at the end. Like, everyone's always like, oh, but Artax comes back at the end because Bastion wishes him. And I'm like, it's not the same Artax. The Artax we knew and loved died in the swamps of sadness. Yeah, it's like Gandalf the Grey over Gandalf the White any day. And he did literally die, didn't he? The horse, a horse yes, literally they, died um, in, in the making. They had a mechanical Don't failure and it uh, dragged that them. story. <laughs> okay, the horse is fine. Do you know who actually owns the book and the amulet, though? Limal. No. From Kachigugu. I'm... No. Guys, I'm going to need to take okay. a minute. Take a minute. The ending story is like Milo and Otis for horses. <laughs> I'm for real in the never ending. I think I'm going to need to go to the right-hand side of this pile. <laughs> 
You're okay there. Mm. Contrary to an internet rumor, the horse that played okay. Artax did not really die during the That's filming of the Swamp of Sadness scene. In fact, That's the horse the man was says. actually given to Noah Hathaway after filming as a gift due to the Bullshit. cost the horse was left behind in Germany. Bullshit. <sighs> what would you do Guys, with a horse? Noah I Hathaway lived in an apartment no, in the Bronx. What would you do with a horse? Like, you have no idea how close I was to crying it, just then. It's glue. You, Helped him uh, build his tattoo machines. Yeah. I was so close to really bursting into tears then. It's too late to tell me that kind of tragic fact. Fun fact. <laughs> wow. I was never on IMDb. Well, Steven Spielberg owns the book and the amulet, oh, and he keeps it in a bulletproof case in his office. Oh, I have heard that. I want it. Steven yes. Spielberg, give it to me. I want it. What are you going to do with it? You're going to go on a never-ending adventure. Why would you get a bulletproof case? Yeah, that's blowing my mind. Because some people like breaking into I'm very anti-guns, but I would take a gun to get hold of that memorabilia. Yeah, but you might take a gun to Steven Spielberg's head and say, use the key. Use the key. You wouldn't shoot it. Fucking a fan thing in it. He's like, this is how much I love it that I've protected it more than I've possibly protected my own children. Unless there's more than meets the eye. Unless he keeps them in a bulletproof case. Well, so maybe he just keeps everything in a bulletproof case. Maybe he had a very rough experience growing up. You know. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen his kids? No. Exactly. <laughs> They're in a bulletproof case somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all point. I know about Steven Spielberg is that he himself had a rough childhood, and much like Charles Dickens before him, he puts it all in his movies, in that they're all about divorce. Yeah. I found out Steven Spielberg and the Queen are like one of five people who have a gold pe- blue Peter badge. There's more than five that? people that have a gold blue Peter badge. They hand them out to bloody no. anyone. They handed one out to... No, 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 the G- gold one's like the top tier. No, they gave one to, like, to like J.K. Rowling's the other day. Did they? Yeah. We did do exercises 24 oh, hours. We did exercises 24 hours. Every single year on Children Need, someone does something. He helped me lose hours. weight over lockdown. Yeah, he, he helped no. everyone lose weight in lockdown. That doesn't mean you get a gold blue Peter badge. I actually have a blue Peter badge. Just uh, going to throw that one out there. <laughs> I read a story so. and they gave me a badge. Yeah. Now you can get into any any. I can get into in the, the London country. dungeon for free. <laughs> that is true. I think <laughs> I think the gold blue Peter badge has been devalued because I've literally gone to the page where you can apply for one. Oh my god! And you you probably have... uh, 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 nominate <laughs> nominate somebody else. Blue Peter, it's got its own so... Wikipedia page. Sorry, we've really really. <laughs> It's, it's such a shame. You know, that... weird evening tonight. This has. So, so, it certainly has. It's... So I've, I've I've got one other thing I wanted to say about this film is that I thought it was really refreshing to see a monster film, a kaiju movie, okay. set in the Joseon period, like mm-hmm. to be set in the past, because so yeah. often they are set in contemporary times. Yeah, because yeah, I that... really like that about it. I think that's why you got Princess vibe, Princess Bride vibes as well. Um, Nick yeah. is like it's very sort of fucky. Yeah, I think. So. No, no, no. Apparently, this isn't the only one. No, I, d- I don't know. I had to do some looking up on this, but there are the Daimajin films, which I believe are 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 also set back in sort of Japanese feudal times, which yeah. are fairly popular. But this to me seemed really unique, and in a in a world where, like, um, one of the greatest zombie things is the Kingdom, the Netflix um, Kingdom, which is zombies set in Josian times which is just fucking fantastic I really sort of saw this as a 
an amateurish <laughs> version of that. I mean, it's it, walked so that could run. In, indeed, and I, I love I love all those sort of Korean period drama kind of stuff. They're much um, more fun. And I think because you don't have to justify why you don't have a mobile phone. Exactly, and you kind of hinted at it. You know, like when you you both. Nick and Em were both talking about the way you felt there was a bit of a family drama going on and a sort of a social social drama going on. I think that's what the director had made previously in South Korea. Mm-hmm. So I think even you know he's play, playing to his his strengths, but with a giant monster as well. But I just I just found it really refreshing it, mm. it not to have not not to be set in contemporary times and, and it, therefore sorry. make sense. Yeah, and it didn't draw. It didn't use that as an excuse to not give us good characters because that woman started out as really fairly quite passive and she literally saves the day. She proper Little Mermaid OGs all over the place and it is incredible. I was so pumped by her character development. Though, and like, though you will notice she has to die to do that. Well, so does the Little Mermaid. That's what I'm saying. The original Little Mermaid throws herself into the water and becomes sea foam so the prince Indeed. can live. Indeed. Um, and well, I'm not sure that's a role model, but I know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but it, well, it, it, it's actually better because the Little Mermaid did it for love. Ugh, terrible. But actually it's sweet because Hans Christian Anderson was writing it for his gay lover. Anyway, um, not his gay lover, it was unrequited, but you know what I mean. LGBTQ+. Woo! This is like, Dra- this is like Dracula all over again. <laughs> The fact that Bram Stoker was wrote Dracula because it was an unrequited love affair, hence why you know Dracula's stabbed with the phallic. Uh, we weapon, get all the of the best literature from oppression. <laughs> no, we don't. That's a terrible thing to say. But we is get we get it from love. Yeah, struggle, we get it isn't from it? Love, though that really, and this was you know it was her baby essentially. Her dad birthed it. She raised it. It crushed everything, and then it crushed her. It really did crush her in that bell. I was really quite concerned for the actress. But then I remembered that it wasn't real. So I want to mention, I mean, outside of obviously the monster bits, which are obviously fun and uh, great, obviously putting a giant monster into this sort of setting is really exciting. The actual battle scenes in it were actually pretty fun as well, even though those rocks looked really styrofoam. <laughs> yeah, the, rock, the, rock, the rocks did let it down a bit, didn't it? Because yeah. the stuff with the, with the big... With the big big um, poles coming down that looked pretty fucking dangerous <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well with the poles that's the thing because I was completely opposite I looked at the poles it's like well there's a good foot between them and where those poles are but the rocks seeing people trying to convincingly act that they're being crushed by a giant polystyrene rock is quite a, an acting skill to say the least how many people were involved as well so we used to in the modern day you know you have a big crowd scene you know it's like three people and it's been <laughs> cgi to the shit out of it yeah they literally must have had about 400 people i thought in that some and of those considering shots. it's history i was Pulling quite there surprised because yeah. i was like oh do they did kim jong and have a good budget like did I'm everyone want to be in this movie or were they actually, forced Imagine they oh, don't have cold. to pay for them. <laughs> but but there's a scale to it there. There's a scale to it. Yeah, it's not quite Cecil B. DeMille scale, but <laughs> it's a lot more people than you see in a crowd scene in most most Asian films. I can yeah. tell you. Oh, interesting fact about this: the SFX was done by uh, Tiriyoshi uh, Nakano, who, as you said already, Stephen, he was put up in rather more plush surroundings than the director was, and he made a complaint about there being no Japanese beer to one of the Korean members of staff. And the next morning, his fridge was completely stocked with it. Oh my god! <laughs> nice. 
So That's the yeah, in it, it's like apparently when Mick Jagger was on SNL and he would just have to shout Diet Coke and one would appear in its hand. They also take an extraordinary amount of shepherd's pie on tour with them. The Rolling Stones do. Really, mm. shepherd's pie yeah. is disgusting. Really? Are you talking just like with beef or lamb? Oh, shepherd's pie is bad. Yeah, that's why it's okay. Don't pie. don't start that <laughs> fucking. Come on, Elwood, be English. It's mince and mash. We cannot be snobby over the, what the meat is at the end of the day. You know why I call it shepherd's pie? pie? Because it's that's what my mother told you it was. It's not called cowherd's pie. Oh, <laughs> why do... See what I have to work with here? Yeah, see like... what I have to work with. I mean... Yeah, I'm thinking snobby no. over a bloody shepherd's pie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh Keep laughing. It The film was inspired by The Return of Godzilla, which was 84. Released in America as Godzilla 1984 and re edited, featuring more Raymond Burr uh, to create a much lesser version. Uh, Raymond Burr obviously being edited into the American version of Godzilla to sell it to the Americans. He played the American news reporter. No explainable reason. Much like the fact that the monsters are called fire beasts nice. because apparently a lot of the complex plotting of Japanese cinema would have been lost in American cinema otherwise I have to ask, to ask um, you know obviously because being in the States it's a completely different culture when it comes to kaiju movies because of like MSTK uh, MST3K and so you had a lot of like TN, uh, TNT late night showings you have like the Godzilla marathons and stuff and over here in the UK we got very rare sort of like midnight showings of Godzilla movies on like Channel 4 so we didn't really have like the same Godzilla culture that you have in in the States so I mean when it came when it came to like Godzilla movies and stuff were you sort of like viewed them as like these hokey fun movies or do you sort of just view them as their own sort of appeal? I I think I think it's fifty fifty. I think there's a lot of people that are just kind of hokey, fun popcorn movies. But then I think there's others that have like a real appreciation for the art and enjoy it. Um, there's a couple guys that I know that really enjoy the movies and are way more knowledgeable than I am about the films. Um, but there's still like fun conversations to be had there. Uh, it really kind of blew up and got bigger after the '98 Roland Emmerich Godzilla film. I mean, the marketing for that was everywhere. You couldn't turn around and not see something for that Godzilla movie coming out. Uh, and then it really picked back up again with Pacific Rim. People started getting into it. Uh, obviously, Godzilla, the 2014 Gareth Edwards version, that made a big impact. It kind of... I feel like it's starting to die back down because uh, reportedly King of the Monsters didn't do that well in the box office. I saw it a couple times and enjoyed it very much. Um <sighs> That was that was like the American Destroyer Monsters, which, if I'm to believe the fake bit of uh, propaganda that's floated around, they're going to remake Destroyer Monsters, a two-part movie if they continue their monsterverse. I... They've got plans to like, do like Rodan and Vartan and all these other sort of movies and build up to uh, Destroyer Monsters the same way that you had like Infinity War with uh, the Marvelverse. Well, I think depending on it's... how Kong versus Godzilla goes... Um, which yeah. I think is next. Oh, that was the other one too, like Kong Skull Island, like that kind of made a face. So Every so often, oh, right? It really surprised me, and I think was, a lot of people felt that way. That was because I thought I thought the first gods, well, not the first Godzilla, but the the the, the, the gods Gareth Edwards, isn't it? Godzilla yeah. movie. I thought it was a snore fest. Really? Oh my god! Oh, 
oh, I'm going to go this direction, and then I'm going to go that direction, and I'm going to follow a bunch of really uninteresting people. Oh, thank fuck, Godzilla turns up at the end. Whereas Skull Island was like an old-fashioned adventure with a giant gorilla in it. And wasn't three and a half hours long, thank you, Peter Jackson. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say that. That is a del- ah, the movie is a delight from start to finish. That movie is great when the fast-forward button is available. No film should Only for be the bug longer bit. than two hours, ten minutes max. We don't need no, Bambi on the ice, movie. and we don't need bugs in the hole. No, Otherwise, it's a great movie. But... Anyway, no, my and I kind of... It's such a journey we've gone with Peter Jackson, though, oh. Stephen. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just... But uh, either way, I think it's... Uh, it kind of goes up and down here in the States <laughs> when it comes to, like, the monster yeah. movies and things like that. But I think right now it's starting to have a bit of a resurgence based on uh, Kong versus uh, Godzilla. Obviously, everything's taking kind of a hit with COVID and going to the movies and stuff, but it all kind of lives on streaming and people watching at home and talking about it there, so... I have to say the legendary monsterverse feels like the most complete universe of all these multiverses that we got floating around at the moment. Like Marvel's has become overcomplicated and like the Batman one, the DC one's interesting, but they haven't quite pulled it off. Mm-hmm. But uh, the monsterverse is just every new movie we get, it adds a little more to the puzzle. And like, we're seeing like this organization that's charged on the monsters that we see like hints of in school Island. And then obviously they're picked up in the modern day movies and stuff. And I just, really love how it's all come together and I just hope that uh, Godzilla vs. Kong just really does the business well I think because it's fun and it's subtle it's not in your face you don't have to see the one because it informs the other like you can just go in and all of a sudden they're fighting it's like why are they fighting oh who cares why they're fighting they're they're fighting and I want to see who wins I want to see is there a different version does Godzilla win because it's Japan or does King Kong win because it's America who knows who's going to win I... and, it, and it doesn't matter whether you know about the old films or not that's the other exactly. thing i like about it there's there's easter eggs in there for people who are going to go squee it's king Ghidorah. Yeah. but for people who don't give like a shit it, it's still really entertaining it's not yeah, yeah it's re- you know it's still like wow there's a three-headed state monster that flies um it's a three-headed space dragon of course like nice. that's, you see that's why he doesn't have the right to the titan claim that's why because he's the true king of the monsters he's just a pretender to the throne and this is exactly see. what i'm talking about right? are... you're gonna get a lot more out of it than i am but they're still really enjoyable really you know Ooh. seriously enjoyable um but i don't i think you're right i think the last one didn't do so well and uh it could I don't understand how. I mean, that was just a, it was just a fun time throughout. Well, you know, it was like all your favourites were there. You can just sit back, relax, have a beer and a sandwich, and it was just fantastic. Well, throughout. I think so. that's because it finally felt like a traditional Godzilla film where the plot was a little convoluted. Yes. There were extra elements and and weird things that they kind of stuck in there that didn't need to be there. But the whole point of it was seeing the monsters fight, was seeing Mothra show up, was seeing Rodan show up, was seeing King Ghidorah show up. Like, oh, thinking about it, I'm going to watch it tonight. After this is done, I'm throwing that in the old 4K player. I'm going to have a great night. I just want to, just want Anglis. That's where all the gold at the Kaiju Rainbow is. Just Anglis, the greatest no. monster in the Kaiju universe. No, Mecha Godzilla no? is the end all be all for me. Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> It's happening. It's happening. I feel okay. it deep in he my is, loins. He is obviously. Mechagodzilla is going to be the next one. 
I don't Even think you'll be in Kong. I think you'll be in the one after. Are we getting off track? I feel like maybe we're getting <laughs> well, off track. In <laughs> some ways, we're more on track than we have been. That's <laughs> true. It is kind of Christmas. <laughs> I think if I, I would hope that people are doing this are just enjoying, you know people having a sensible discussion about kaiju movies rather than the snark casters on the internet who are like, oh, look at this mistake. Godzilla's stupid. It's sort of like, oh, aren't, they, aren't these acts this dubbing awful? Wow, it's Chinese in blackface. Yes, because it's the time it was made. <laughs> Japan didn't have a huge black population that they could cast with at the time and Toho are notoriously cheap. Hence why they kept repainting the suits and often with the actors inside while they were doing it. So... <laughs> I mean, you only have to look at Ultraman and see the amount of suits that they recycled and glued bits on just so that they could say, oh, look, here's a new monster. But it was like Godzilla with like a frill and a new paint job. So, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, do how do we do we think Pugasari deserves its place, obviously, within Kaiju history? Because obviously it's a controversial movie seeing how the circumstance it was made under. The fact it was also a propaganda film for the dictator's uh, the communist North Korea so for years it's sort of like was banned and it's still the certain DVDs you can get where it says like banned in 56 countries on the cover really? Um, yeah because it's got the stigma because obviously the circumstance and the fact it's a North yeah, Korean film kind of um, but... so I, I think that's bullshit right because I think this I think it's, I was really surprised how much I enjoyed this film right and I think the fact that the, the rest of you guys enjoyed it as well Speaks mm. speaks volumes. We watch films from Iran. We watch films from Libya. We watch films mm. from all sorts of places. Um, I've watched films from Turkmenistan in the past. Yeah, I, I think I think yes, you have to understand the concept of which may. But I really want to see a 2K remaster of this. I I don't. It's, it's all right watching it on YouTube in Blurra Vision, but. <laughs> You could see some of the colours there were so vibrant. Yeah, some yeah. of the stuff at court and things like that. I think it's an absolute tra- now. It might actually be suited by having the older looking looking like it's been uh, watched through Greece. I imagine <laughs> might 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 make some of the um, might some of the the failings disappear. But I I I gobble up a Blu-ray of this with alongside a documentary about how it. Oh yeah, of course. Put it into. I mean, there is a there is a there is a quite a good um, documentary film about this that you can that you can catch. But put that as a double pack. Spend some time tarting this up, and I think <laughs> this stands up in in a re- you know amongst any other kaiju movie. Yeah, it's a really lovely idea, and also I think you don't necessarily need the context either it's a genuinely good movie even without its oh, fascinating oh, it, history it, it, it lives it lives it, yeah absolutely i absolutely agree i think it lives and stands but if that was a way to get it and right. then that's just like a bonus mm. it's like wait what <laughs> that's how i told it to nick i was like hey you had seen this kaiju movie and it was made like by them kidnapping the director <laughs> I think I said something along those lines to Nick when I was like pitching the idea and coming on the show, and he's like, "I am." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. As I was soon like, as I read that, I'm like, "When? When and where? Tell me. I will find a way to find this." And movie. I was like, "This is the people I need to surround, be surrounded myself with." <laughs> Just like people like, "Yes, that's what I need to be told." So, but um, anything else anyone wants to discuss on this one? Really loved it. Just genuinely, really enjoyed it, and loved the female character and her journey. 
It was so good. I'm really glad. I'm really glad you liked it. So, because it's obviously being, if you're not obviously it's always that risk that you don't know if you're not gonna. Yeah. How you're gonna take to a guy in a monster suit? You know, I I don't. Stomping I on really villagers. don't mind a guy in a monster suit. As a massive fan of eighties fantasy, a guy in a monster suit has never put me off a movie. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I and I've I've never shied away from Eastern cinema either, so um, I was fully kind of aware that I was gonna find something to enjoy out of it, and I think I was just surprised with how much I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Nick, anything you want to? I mean, everybody kind of nailed on the head on it. It's it was much more enjoyable than I thought it was gonna be. I think it touches the heartstrings way more than I thought it was gonna, and it's just. Overall, it's just surprising. I mean, given the story behind it, it's it makes it fascinating. But you know, kind of like Steven said, even without it, like it's still a, a really fascinating film, and it's fun to watch. And I think surprisingly, it's one that I'm probably going to revisit again, mainly mm-hmm. because it's easy to grab on YouTube. But <laughs> it's definitely you know definitely something I'm going to watch again. Fantastic. Um, yeah, as we said already, the film is widely available on uh, YouTube in various forms, so uh, you can obviously check it out on there, where we obviously wait for them to give it an official release, which hopefully, somewhere down the line, maybe Criterion will pick it up. It seems like they're sort of back. They might go to Shout or... Shout, yeah, or Arrow. Arrow or... Yeah, Arrow for sure. I mean, it does. Well, terracotta, it does, I would say, would it, even be a pun. It does do the rounds at sort of cult cinemas. I mean, but I guess now their their very existence might be dubious moving forward. That might be the reason for it. Fingers uh, crossed, they'll become yeah. the only cinemas. Like every cinema will just become like the Prince Charles. Like that's the dream. That's but my it, but it, dream. That's but it my... suggests to me that there there are there's a film print there, yeah. And if there's a film print, then you can then you can spend time and fix it up for, for modern media so mm. touch wood well this obviously brings us to the end of another edition of Kaiju Christmas and certainly this episode thank you as always for listening if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us and maybe leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show I'd like to thank my co-host as always Stephen pleasure as always sir and also like to thank our special guests tonight. First off, I'd like to thank uh, Emily Slade of Why That Film Podcast. Um, Emily, if you want to come and find your words, where's the best place to find you? Um, I'm across all social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Why This Film Podcast. And I'm on pretty much every uh, podcasting platform. It's Why This Film Podcast. It's pink like me because I'm a girl. And we chat about movies from your childhood. Yeah, and at the moment you're currently doing your drunk Christmas oh, yeah. specials, which... Uh, just really fun commentary tracks I'm finding. Yay, thank you. Um, and Nick, for yourself over at French Toast Sunday, I know I've, things are happening somewhere, I assume. Yeah, things are always kind of happening. We're doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff right now, um, trying to figure out a new format, trying to figure out a better recording schedule. Um, but I have been making the rounds on other podcasts. Obviously, I was with you and Stephen earlier in the year, earlier in the run uh, for the Battle Royale podcast. That was a lot of fun. And uh, recently I hung out with Will over at Exploding Helicopter, and we talk about 1978's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. (laughs) So keep an eye out for that episode, which is – it's really fun. That movie is something else. Yeah, we um, talked about one of Will's recommendations, uh, Penguin's Memories, on our last episode, uh, which is Happy Feet meets the Deer Hunter, which uh, (laughs) – Yes! I owe so much to him. (laughs) 
That's right. And we're 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 on a run of movies we wouldn't expect to like, and that you find deeply affecting. (laughs) That's one of them for sure. My goodness. Just uh, this the idea of the a penguin that looks like he belongs in Club Penguin coming back shell shocked from the war and oh that movie. That movie's only available on YouTube, but do yourself a favor over Christmas and check it out, like a, <laughs> like a lazy morning or something. It's just you wouldn't think that a movie that looks so cute would be so deeply affecting, but well, like Grave of the Fireflies Oof. all over again. It is. I mean, it it's is not. Like Grave of the it, Fireflies. It, it's like Grave of the Fireflies, but not as sad. <laughs> 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 because nothing's that sad. Oh my god. I still dread the time that someone's going to make us watch. Uh, it is on my list of films to bring to the show, but uh, you don't want to hear two middle-aged men crying, do you? <laughs> well, I, I think mean... it will be good. I think it'll break a lot of toxic stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? You're saying this show is full of toxic? <laughs> yeah, this show, out of all the shows out there, this one I've really deeply found to be incredibly toxic. Um, no, obviously not. Especially on the topic of shepherd's pies, apparently. <laughs> Very controversial. A, a man has his limits, yeah? <laughs> Mislabeling hearty British food is, is my... is is not allowed to be crossed. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.